does it mean to say humans are in covenant relationship with God? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Jody Washburn, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on the book of Psalms. Joining me in conversation are Tiago Aheis and Matilda Fry, both professors in the School of Theology. Covenant relationship, we could say, is a thread that winds throughout the biblical literature, and it's conceptualized in many, many different ways. What does it mean when we say humans are in covenant relationship with God? I think in the biblical stories, God is the one who offers that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is the initiator. Right, yes. So he, he um, offers the call to come into that relationship and then also provides, um, you know, how that relationship should be able to function. And so for the um, the theme of covenant in the in the Bible, there are all these ways of different kinds of covenant signs, covenant boundaries, covenant um, uh, stipulations, and so on that are present in the different stories. So we can begin with the story of creation, the story of the in the flood story, Noah, and the, the covenant made and the rainbow as the sign and so on, and then continue into into all these other parts of the stories. But God is the one offering it always. Yeah, what I would add to that, Matilda, um, is as God initiates this relationship, he has a desire, right? It's not just establishing a relationship for, you know, what, what's God's desire? What's what's the intention in establishing such a relationship? And from the book of Genesis onward, we, we get a very clear picture as to God wants this harmony. He has this desire for this shalom, this wholesome relation between himself, human beings, obviously, in the book of Genesis, that's very clear, and the earth, right? As there's an inner relationship between these three sort of characters, partners, God, human beings, and the land. And throughout all of these covenants, um, Matilda mentioned already the flood, the Noah covenant, and these three characters will always be there. Why? Because God has a desire for the world to function and to be in a particular way that leads toward this wholesome life, this flourishing that he that he wants to see um, throughout creation. So as we move forward through the covenants, through in the Psalms and elsewhere, it's always good to keep in mind that God initiates this covenant and he has this desire for a wholesome, flourishing relationship between him, humanity, and the land. So for those listening to us, you can remember very quickly exile, for instance, which is one of the outcomes of the breaking of the covenant. It's not just about a broken relationship between people and God. Mm-hmm. They leave the land. So so there's always the interplay of those three things because God wants and desires for a flourishing that leads to life and love and goodness and that inner relationship between him, people, and land. Mm. Thank you. One of the Psalms mentioned in our lesson is Psalm 89. And it starts with the phrase, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Perhaps we've heard it put to music, you know, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Um, But this is that word, chesed, that we spoke about earlier this quarter. And in this particular psalm, almost the whole poem is exploring this idea of like what are God's mercies? What are what are God's what is God's great love? Exploring that idea through the lens of what I would call the promise to David. So the articulation of the covenant made with David, um, maybe we find the most concise um, 
exposition of this in Second Samuel 7, but it's spoken of throughout the biblical text in one way or another. Um, but I wonder, when you think about particularly the covenant with David and maybe some of the ways that it's explored in Psalm 89, um, what do you think that we can learn about covenant relationship from, you know, the covenant with David and from Psalm 89? Well, I to recall the story of David, God is um, calling this young very young teenage boy to become this king of Israel, according to the biblical story. And uh, so he becomes the model king Mm -hmm. for the rest of the biblical um, stories of kings and will become also the the king who is addressed as the messianic figure eventually, who points to the Messiah to come and so on. And I think in the in this psalm, per, particularly the kingship of David is expressed in this very, um, very positive, but also like this ideal expressions, righteousness and truth and justice and the loving kindness. Uh, all of those come together in this figure of, of king, of the king here. And so they are supposed to, like, uphold David's kingship. Now, David misses the point Mm -hmm. a lot, isn't it, Mm -hmm. in his life, in all kinds of ways, uh, in relation to the people, in relation to his relationships with with his friends or with the family and, and so on, including God. And yet God keeps his part of the covenant. And that is the amazing piece in the story of David and the covenant, that God keeps it nonetheless, no matter what happens. You see, I believe we are so easy to like say, okay, he did it, he did, he, he crossed the line. And so we can discard the person. Mm-hmm. God never does that. I love that. And and I think what Matilda just said is at the center of Psalm 89, right? I mean, you're right, Jody. The psalm does start with that beautiful expression, I will sing of your faithful love forever. But if you notice Psalm 89, our listeners, it ends with where is your faithful love of old? There's a, a hard transition from, you know, the half of the psalm onward where where the psalmist recognizes that he's not in a good situation, that there were mistakes, that there was a breaking, that there was a, a, a messed up um, a messing up of the relation altogether. And um, the idea of covenant faithfulness and grace and favor, I mean, it's easy to sing about that when, when we feel like we're okay, when when things are fine. But how do we sing when we know that we have not owned up or to our end of the bargain, to our to, to our covenant side of, of the situation? So it's interesting to see that in this psalm, the the tension of, yes, we know your promises. Yes, we know that you keep them, but but we have not. So what now? Well, how? So it's a beautiful reminder, again, of what Matilda just said, that God does own up to his part and will continue to do so. So mm-hmm. I like that tension in this psalm particularly. Yeah, there is a spaciousness in having poems that allow words and line, you know, space, lines to go to these different aspects. A few lessons ago, we had um, Psalm 51 was listed as as one of the texts for the lesson, and we didn't get to discuss it. But one of the things that I noticed 
Um, in both this psalm, Psalm 89, um, and also Psalm 51, is that reading this psalm with an eye toward the like hundreds of years of history of Israel almost creates a picture where there are sections of the poem that reflect the experience of God's people at, in these different seasons. So, for instance, the the subheading under the title of Psalm 51 in the English Bible um, situates this poem, you know, at the moment when, when David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, okay? And so... We hear these famous lines, you know, create in me a clean heart, right? Surely I have, I have been sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desire truth. You teach me wisdom, right? And I remember when I was younger feeling like the last part of the psalm didn't make any sense because it says, um, you know, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem as if as if there's no there's no um, reality there, right? It felt like a disconnect. Mm. And now when I read this, I see how this language can give words to people's experience at every phase in the unfolding history. So, for instance, Psalm 89 talks about this promise that you, David, will always have a king on the throne. Well, there were times in the history of Israel when that was simply not the case, and the psalm also gives word to that. So there's a naming of both in a single poem, okay? And I find that to be an amazing embodiment of what is meant by covenant. Like Tiago earlier in our in our the quarter, you mentioned that many of these poems in a way are are not putting into view something new. They're allowing us to catch a glimpse of a reality that was already there. So could we say that this covenant relationship is like there? God, humanity, the earth, right? In thriving mutual relationship of in one way or another. And that at every juncture in the story of the people, they have to reconsider how in the world do we make sense of this? Mm. What does it mean to say David will have someone on the throne? Right. And and we we see it wrestled with in the original description of that covenant with David that that there's almost like a playing around with words. Well, I will give you a house. No, I will give you a house. Oh, no. Is it the palace? Is it the temple? Is it the mm. the the capital city? Right. And and then ultimately the house is the dynasty mm. that that there is going to be this line and that line is then cut. And then that line is pieced back together as the storyline of the of the people continues after the Babylonian exile, right, when they're trying to rebuild, it continues through what we would call from a Protestant Christian perspective, the intertestamental period. So that that is being wrestled with all the way through who belongs to the line of David? How do we know God is still holding up this covenant? And then the New Testament authors pick up that line mm-hmm. again, and they help us to reimagine yet again, what does this promise of covenant loyalty mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I love how the Psalms, the, the poems, the way that the promise, the recognition that what we're currently experiencing does not look like the promise, mm-hmm. it holds space for all of that to be. Yeah. I think it is at this point because you mentioned the 
the title of the psalm or the the heading. I think it is good to like just make sure that we also point out these headings are put in there much later, much later, and so they are placed at the head of a psalm. Like this is the psalm of David in this situation, and so on. They are they they can speak of that situation, but they are not directly coming from that. Mm-hmm. Situation, so that is why the psalms are so um, f- able to to like include all of us with all of our experiences because we can see ourselves ourselves in that psalm as well. Not only David said it or sung it, mm-hmm. right, but. In in another uh, experience in life, somebody else a thousand years later, two thousand years later, can see, sing and pray the same song. Yes, mm-hmm. that it gives word to this mm-hmm. full range of experience. We could say the same thing about the covenant, I suppose, yeah. that each iteration of the covenant... I mean, some people try to argue it's going in a certain direction and each one adds something, but we could also see it as each um, shines a light on one facet. Mm-hmm. Of this, of this relationship between God and humanity and the created world that is always there. Well, thank you both. Our conversation time has come to a close, but I thank you, Matilda and Tiago, and also special thanks to Ben Busby and Rick Basket, our program engineers, and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. For The Good Word, I'm Jody Washburn. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.